Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Well, amen. Well, uh, welcome to Second Baptist Church. So glad that you're here. Uh, grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, want, would love to connect with you. Uh, we can do that in one of a couple ways. Uh, one way is uh, there's a card in the pew back in front of you if you're a first-time guest or maybe first time in a long time. You fill that card out and uh, put that in the offering plate as we leave. Or you can go to our website, sbcr.org, and there's a button that says, I'm new. You can click that button and fill that information out, whether in person or online. We would love to connect with you and know that you're here worshiping with us, how we might be able to uh, serve you. And so we are grateful that you've chosen to worship with us today. Uh, looking forward to today, I want to go ahead and jump into a few announcements, um, and then I want to... Um, just briefly discuss a little bit about what the Lord is doing around our nation 
and uh, call us to an intentional time of prayer uh, before we go much further into our service. And so uh, with that, uh, let me mention a couple things. Uh, first of all, we are having our pastor's luncheon this Tuesday, uh, just in a couple days. So many of you have given already generously, and thank you so much for that. Uh, if you would like to give, you still have opportunity. Um, and, and, you know, I've just shared with you that these are just, they're just men. They're just dudes. They like man stuff, okay? So uh, whether you want to give uh, money to, to just be a part of that, or if you want to uh, give a gift, uh, either would be... Uh, just great and grateful for your your desire to be a part of that. Um, <clears throat> also, uh, want to make you aware, on April 2nd, we will have um, Brother Ronnie Tullis coming in to preach uh, for our revival meeting. Um, and I'll say a little bit more about revival and some of that in just a moment. But I do want to make you aware that we have made uh, these available, uh, these 40-day prayer guides. Um, there is... Um, how about there's regular print and then there's small print. All right. So um, anyway, whatever your preference is, um, and it may be we are going to do our best to send these out through the prayer chain on a daily basis. That'll begin. Um, we'll begin the 40 days will begin tomorrow. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll make it available in different spots on social media in some different ways. And so um, if you want a physical copy, there are some at the ministry opportunities desk and uh, before the end of service, there will be some at the back at the welcome desk there, uh, so you can pick up one of those copies and, and let us begin praying intentionally that God would do a significant work for His glory and honor. So as a part of that, during the month of March, uh, each Tuesday night, we are hoping to have a cottage prayer meeting, uh, just a, uh, somebody willing to open up their home and host um, a, a group of folks, whoever, however many it may be. Uh, from church, just, just coming over on a Tuesday evening and, and praying together. And so uh, Miss Sarah's sitting near the back, and she's helping lead that. So if you're interested in being a part and hosting one of those cottage prayer meetings on a Tuesday night in March, during the month of March, uh, you can see her, and, and she'll, she's going to help coordinate that. And so uh, thank you for that. I do want to mention tonight we do have... Our ongoing evangelism training, the sharing the three circles, how to do that, how to take everyday conversations and turn into gospel conversations. Now, many of you are aware we also have our, this is the Sunday for our quarterly business meeting. So the plan is we don't have just a whole lot on the agenda. We're going to begin with our business meeting and it likely will not take very long. And then we will transition into uh, our continuing training uh, with three circles. So we'd love to have you join us tonight. Five o'clock will be at the other end of the facility uh, in our fellowship hall. Okay, there's a lot of other things that are going on and happening and, and uh, so on and so forth. Um, for instance, man, there's so much happening on Wednesday night. Uh, so excited. These are, uh, kids have been working on... Um, this music uh, during Wednesday nights, and so I hope you're making plans to be a part of that. I'm grateful to uh, Miss Joy and Sherry and so many others that, that make Wednesday nights happen, and uh, there's a lot of, lot of individuals that volunteer their time and, and grateful for that, okay? All right, so now let me kind of transition just for a moment, um, kind of taking care of a few housekeeping things. I hope that you've been able to see, and I'm sure you have, um, there, there was a move of God that began a couple weeks ago 
a little over a week ago in As, uh, Asbury, at Asbury University in um, Kentucky. And what it all is, and is it revival, is it awakening, all that kind of thing, I, I'm not really sure, time will tell, but I know this. It is a unique move of God. God has manifested himself and done some incredible things, and, and it seems evident to me, um, and I've not been, but I've had several friends who I greatly respect and admire that have been, and they are convinced that God is at work there, and it has spread among other uh, institutions, um, other universities, uh, it is spreading seemingly quickly among young adults, young college students, and so on and so forth, and... and one, one of the things that seems to be unique about this is that folks have said testimony, I don't know how many different blogs or opinions or whatever that I've read about this, there, there's one thing that is consistent that has stood out to me. Uh, well, well, two things. Number one is the, these individuals said whenever they got in the room, they knew without a doubt the presence of God was there. They knew without a doubt the presence of God was there. And as a fruit of that, many have said that they were there two, three, or four hours and it felt like 10 minutes, it felt like 20 minutes because they were so enamored by being in the presence of God. And it's really just an ongoing worship service that seems like God's manifest presence is there. And so I sent out yesterday encouraging people, if you could, I know it's hard uh, to come early Sunday morning and spend time praying. And while I was praying, just reminded of that truth, this is what I prayed for you and I today. That from the moment you stepped out of your car, that the presence of God might be sensed and it might be felt that there's something different about today. Hey, listen, I, I love getting, I love having church. I enjoy being together. But man, I don't want to have church without the presence of God. I don't want to have church and just be cold and be mundane and just be going through the motions. And here's the reality. I can't bring revival. I can't go to Asbury and take a jar and bottle it up and bring it in here and just open it up and go, hey, here's revival. How does revival come? Revival comes when God sends it, but here's the reality. G. Campbell Morgan says we can't bring revival, but we can set ourselves to catch the wind of revival. And so how do we set ourselves? We set ourselves by prayer, by praying and begging God. I don't think there's a person in this room that I have to convince that our nation needs a fresh work, an awakening, a spread of the movement of God across our nation. But here's the reality. I wonder how many of us are convinced that go, man, I, I know the nation needs it, but this beggar needs it. And so I'm not here to try to create or manifest anything or try to manipulate us into anything. But I'm just saying, folks, if we're, I, I want to experience what other places are experiencing. And it seems like it's a unique move of God. And the only way I know to do that, the only know I, way I know that we might experience that is by calling us to intentional, focused prayer. The Bible says this, 
be still and know that I'm God. And so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to hit pause. and We have songs to sing, and I promise you I've got a sermon I want to preach. But I just want us to pause for a moment. And here in a minute, I'm going to invite you to come and get on this altar. And, and listen, here's the reality. Here's what I know. You can pray as effectively sitting there as you can here. I know that without a doubt. But I also believe there's something different when we make ourselves uncomfortable to demonstrate, God, I'm really serious about this. And I realize some are not physically able. The Lord knows that. He absolutely knows that. Some may not be able to kneel. You may just want to come and stand close. Maybe you want to sit close. But I'm going to invite you in just a moment when we pray. If the Lord has stirred your heart or maybe you're hungry for this or whatever it is, man, you feel impressed. I'm going to invite you just to come and kneel at this altar and ask God to do in our church what only He can do. I'm not asking God to do what He's doing at Asbury. I'm asking God to do what only He can here. Be a fresh work of God. It would be a manifest sense of His presence. And so if you will, if you'll bow your head, close your eyes, and some of you may want to come. You may want to come kneel at this altar with others and ask God, for a fresh work. Ask God for a move. And if that's you, I'd invite you to come now. I'm going to give you just a minute. We're going to pray together. Some of you maybe aren't comfortable coming up here. You may just want to turn around and kneel at your pew. you take just a moment and with every fiber of your being would you worship God would you exalt his name Would you ask him if there's any sin that's unconfessed in your life? God, do. ask him to reveal it today. That you want to be a clean vessel before him. You don't want to be a hindrance to experiencing him. Would you pray that the Spirit of God would fall on this place today? That God, that when we, when we worship you, when we are gathered here this morning, that it would be undeniable that he's here. And would you pray that for churches all over our city and all over the River Valley and our state and our nation and the world. Oh God, I need you. Oh, I need you.
God, every hour of my life, every minute and every second, Lord, I need you. God, I pray that we wouldn't leave this moment without a total sense of desperation, God, that we need you. God, that life is not worth living without you. God, and quite honestly, church isn't worth having without you. So God, I pray, I beg you, Lord God, that this wouldn't be just another day, but this be a day in which we've met with you, a day in which your presence falls on this place in a way that, that is undeniable. God, and Lord, we, we lay this entire service out before you, God. We have a schedule, we have an, a, an agenda of sorts, but God, ultimately, we want this to be your day, this to be your service, your, your time. And God, if that includes the things we plan, so be it. But God, if it doesn't, then Lord, it's all yours. God, we've not gathered together for us. But God, we've gathered together. God, I hope and pray we've gathered to worship you. Oh God, make us hungry. Make us desperate for you. And God, I pray... That, Lord, you would work and move. And you would do it in such a way that it is undeniably you. Lord, prepare our heart. Prepare us. God, would you send revival? Would you send a great awakening? Would you send a fresh work? God, would it happen all across our city this morning? God, maybe it happen all across the River Valley in the state of Arkansas. God, I pray all over the nation. God, I pray across the world. We need you, Lord Jesus. We need you. very appropriate that we start this morning's service with an incredible song of theology, um, uh, the greatness of Jesus, what he came to do for us on that cross, simply a, a song stating Jesus saves, would you stand as we sing?
Oh, 
If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, would you turn to Nehemiah 13? <laughs> Nehemiah in chapter 13. We have come to the end. Um, after walking through uh, this book for quite some time, um, we... Uh, I started last week a, 
um, part one of this message, and so I want to come back to um, finish the second part uh, a couple weeks ago, that is, and um, here just begin to look um, at this text together. And so if you'll remember uh, the first part of chapter 1 here, we read verses 1 through 13, and this idea of realignment, I use the illustration of uh, the, the vehicle being out of alignment, right? That um, your vehicle every so often uh, has to be, the front end needs to be realigned so that the steering wheel is in proper position with the wheels and, and that there's not a, a drastic pull one way or the other. Hopefully it's in alignment, driving straight, etc. And so what we talked about is that Nehemiah had gone to the Jerusalem. He was a few years behind his contemporary Ezra, and it was to rebuild the wall. And he has, uh, the Lord has raised him up, and then God raised up leaders around him to help complete the work on the wall. On the wall. Um, but that was just the beginning because not only was the wall broken down, but worship and honoring the Lord with their lives had been broken. It's part of the reason why they were in exile. But as they had come back, there were still some things out of order. And so they get the wall back in place, but then they, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah work together to try to restore a sense of worship and, and honor the Lord. And man, God really moves and works in that way. Um, and then uh, we see in chapter 13, Nehemiah goes back to his daytime job, if you will, the cupbearer for the king, and he's there, doesn't seem for all that long amount of time. And you remember the people of Israel, had, man, they rallied behind the message. They got excited about the preacher and all that sort of thing. And, and uh, they made a covenant, yes, Lord, we're going to do all this. And they agreed to some things, etc. And so then when Nehemiah goes, on, uh, goes back and then he comes back to Jerusalem, uh, surprisingly enough, they must have been Baptists because everything was out of order again, right? Oh, y'all didn't appreciate that, did you? All right. I, I is one. I didn't talk about us, okay? Uh, but everything was out of order, etc. Um, and so what does Nehemiah do? He begins to try to reset, recalibrate everything, get it back in alignment. And so a couple weeks ago, uh, we still have the same main idea for our text this morning, okay? And I'm going to get to the text in a moment. Um, and the key question, I'll, I'll get that, but... What we said was, number one, realignment comes from the Word of God. It comes from the Word of God, that the Word of God establishes. It, it's what draws us back. It's what, man, speaks to our heart. It divides to the asunder of our soul, is what the Word of God says. Secondly, it corrects drifting with the enemy. You remember, Tobias had snuck in. We're going to see another enemy that had snuck in. Tobias had weaseled his way in. And there was some drifting that was happening. And if we're not careful, we got to highlight the Word of God, but we also got to be careful that it's this drifting away. And anytime you drift away from the Lord, you're drifting with the enemy. Thirdly, uh, he pr realignment prioritized giving to the things of God. The obedience of giving our first fruits. The obedience of giving unto the Lord and 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 making sure our money is being prioritized. Giving to the things of God. We talked about that Scripture says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so from there, we will pick up. And so if you found your place, Nehemiah chapter 13, 
We're going to begin in verse 15, so if you're willing and you're able, will you stand with me in the honor of the reading of the Word of God? In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens which they had brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, and I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem as it began to be dark before the Sabbath that I commanded the gates to be shut. And I charged that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and they should go and guard the gates to sanctify um, the Sabbath day. Remember me, O God, according to this also, and spare me according to your greatness of your mercy. In those days I also saw Jews who were married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of the children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and, he made, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sambalot, the Horonite. Therefore I drove him from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleansed them of everything pagan. I also assigned duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to bringing the wood offering and the first fruits at appointed times. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Let's pray. Precious Jesus, I pray you bless the preaching of your word. Hide me behind your cross and fill me with your spirit. Give me every word to say, nothing more, nothing less. God, I pray in these next few moments, God, that the sense of your presence would be evident. And that, God, we would not leave this place the same. And I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so here we are with realignment. The second part of this, the main idea of the text is this, is we can quickly drift from the things of God. We can quickly drift 
from the things of God. And so then simply the question this morning is, have you drifted? Have you drifted? I don't think it's any coincidence that we're in this text this morning and knowing what is all is happening uh, across the nation right now, that there's this sense of sweeping revival that is in the early amber stages of happening across our nation. And I'm praying that there's this great revival and on the heels of that there's a great awakening that happens and man, God does some incredible things in our nation. And so here's the thing then, why, why do we need revival? Why is it we're so desperate for this? Why is it we should be desperate for this? Because the reality is, whether we're ready to admit or not, most of us should answer this question in the infer- affirmative, have you drifted? Because that's what happens when the presence of God shows up and in the midst of revival, revival is Christians coming back into alignment with the things of God. People right now all over the country are watching closely. They're wanting to know, what are the fruits of this movement of God? What is happening? What is taking place? All those sorts of things. And and right, I mean, people are asking questions and going, man, is there repentance? Is there, man, getting right? Is there this confession of sin? All these kinds of things. And we want it to look a certain way. And, And here's the reality. Man, when the presence of God comes, there must be confession of sin. There must be repentance. Because that's exactly what happens when the holiness of God shows up. Every time throughout Scripture, when the holiness of God shows up, man falls on his face and bows before him and confesses sin because that's what the presence of God brings about. And sometimes I just wonder if we really want revival because that's messy. That's messy. Because in the midst of confessing sin, in the midst of being real and honest with one another, in the midst of all that, our Sunday best comes down. Our southern hospitality kind of gets reeled back a little bit. Because we start to begin to ask, really, one another, how are you doing And then, oh no, we get real responses. We get some real transparency. And next thing you know, we have to begin dealing with some things that make us uncomfortable. And so I just wonder this morning, are you willing to ask in your own soul before the Lord, God, have I drifted? Am I I not quite as close to you as I once was? Am I not quite as passionate about the things of God as I once was? God, I get more angry over this or that being done rather than the own contentment in my own life. And so the question is this morning is, have you drifted? We walked through those first three quickly that we looked at two weeks ago. And so there are two left beginning in verse 15 and on down. And I want to pick up there. So number four, if you will, realignment reminds us of the importance of rest and worship. Realignment reminds us of the importance 
of rest and worship. If you pick up in verse 15, notice what's happening here. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses. Look at this, on the Sabbath, bringing sheaves, loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs. He continues on, he says, on the Sabbath, and I warned them. Verse 16, you have people coming and selling things on the Sabbath. Verse 17, then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil thing is this that you do on which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus, and do not our God bring all this? And many just going on, and what is happening is, is along the way, remember, they had established, they had already dealt with this. Nehemiah goes away and comes back, and next thing you know, here they are again. They are abusing the Sabbath. They are not protecting this day, in which is to be set aside for them to worship the Lord and to rest from their work. That's what is happening. And so here Nehemiah is again, and Nehemiah is now leading with a strong hand. He is not backing down from this. He is calling it what it is. He is calling it wicked. He is calling it evil. He is identifying this as sin. Listen to me, church family. If we're going to see a fresh move of God, then in our own life, man, we're really good at looking at the culture and looking at Hollywood and looking at uh, the Grammys and all these sorts of things and going, man, that is sin. But I'm not so sure we're so good at looking in the mirror and going, that is sin. I'm not so sure we're too great at opening our own chests and looking down in our own heart and going, man, that is sin. And what is Nehemiah doing here? He is helping the people see, man, this is wicked. This is sinful. And if you notice, for a lot of them, it's outsiders that are bringing the influence and they're falling victim to this. They're allowing it to take place. Here's the reality, church. We've spent too much time blaming governors and presidents and the White House and all these and Congress and all these we spend a lot of time blaming schools and all these sorts of things but the reality is folks the issue and it the the school does not need revival the Cong- the Congress Congress does not need revival the White House does not need revival the church of the living God needs revival Some of y'all don't believe that this morning, and that's okay. The church needs revival because here's why. If you and I, if the church will experience revival, then change will happen in the schools. Change will happen in Congress. Change will happen in the White House. It's you and I. Listen, there's nothing that I can do. Man, it's the presence of God that's going to have to convince you and convict you that this is what I need. Not so-and-so down the street, not the other Baptist church, not the river. Man, we, I need revival. And that's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's going, man, there's all these outside influences and I'm dealing with them. But man, you got to see this is at your front door. This is your own. And you need to repent. And you need to get right. He goes on. Listen to um, verse 21. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From the time on that came no more on the Sabbath. And look at this, verse 22. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. They, he dealt strongly with those that were coming and encroaching and, and hanging around and just being leeches about this thing. And he warned them. He, 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 he was strong with them. But then what did he do? 
he turned around and looked at the Levites. These were the religious leaders. These were the pastors and the priests. And these were, these were the ones to be leading spiritually. And what's he say to them? He says, you need to go cleanse yourself. What's he saying? That's our way of saying, you need to repent and get right. He dealt with all these others, but then he comes back and going, man, if you're going to lead, if you're going to influence, if you're going to be a part of some, God doing something here, you need to get right. You need to repent. And then you need to take steps to guard against this and fight against this. That way it doesn't happen again. Here's the deal. We need realignment for rest and worship. Here's the thing. Are we obligated in the sense that the way the Israelites in Jerusalem and all the, in the Old Testament, the way that this is laid out, to hold to the Sabbath in the way that is here? I don't believe that. But this is what I do believe. There is a biblical principle in which we need to honor the Sabbath. A biblical principle in which we need to make sure we carve out times in our life that we can rest and focus on the Lord Jesus. We live in a day and culture where all of us live by a calendar because the way we've defined success, the way we've defined happiness is that calendar has to be full day in and day out and chasing this and chasing that. And then we're just constantly bombarded by all these things. And listen, I, I'm as guilty as anybody but man, we constantly live by one of these in our hand and, and so on and so forth. And friend, I'm just telling you that you were not created to be plugged in 24-7. You were created in which you carve out space and time in your life where you seek and search after the Lord where you're hungry and passionate, looking to spend time with God. And you think about the last time that maybe you just turned off all the notifications and just read your Bible. When was the last time you just left this thing in the other room and just spent time before the Lord? When's the last time you just carved out hours? Man, I'm just going to focus on the Lord. I think that's one of the fruits of the movement that's happening right now is that it seems like people are going into a place, gathering in a chapel, and they're singing worship. They're not fighting about what songs there are, what instruments are being used. About, I mean, there's not even screens in the, the building, and, and we can't be reactionary. You go, oh, we got to tear screens out, so we, stop. Um, but, man, they're going into the room, and they are worshiping God. They're confessing sin. Scripture's being read. Testimonies are being shared. And people are talking about that hours are passing before they realize it. I think one of the things that are happening is that somehow, some way, there's so much in the presence of God that there's, man, there, there's a disconnect from the, the monotony of life. And friend, this is what I want to encourage you. I mean, Jesus said this in Luke 4. 
He said, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was the custom, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And so here's the thing. I realize it's an Old Testament principle, but even Jesus honors the Sabbath. Uh, obviously, we know that Jesus didn't come to break the law, but he came to fulfill the law. But what happens here is he sets aside time. And we read throughout, I mean, read the Gospel of Luke sometime with the purpose of looking for his prayer time and his time of solitude. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus takes time where he gets away and spends time with the Father. And friend, I'm just telling you this. Obviously, if, God, if, if the Son of God needs that time, if the Son of God sees that as valuable, then you and I ought to as well. Psalm 127, 1 and 2, and says, The Lord, Lord builds the house, the labor in vain. Uh, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the breads for sorrow, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Here's, here's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, we need to learn to just rest in God and his goodness and his providence. But here's the reality. Resting in His goodness doesn't mean just getting distracted by other stuff. Resting in Him doing the work is trusting Him. Active trust. Spending time in prayer. Spending time pursuing Him through His Word. Spending time just in the presence of God saying, God, I need you. That you and I need times where we rest and we worship the Lord. Matthew 11, 28 through 30 says this, says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's the reality. Some of you came in this morning and you drug yourself in here. Maybe not physically, but maybe spiritually. You feel desperate, you feel disconnected, feel alone and isolated. And friend, I, I, this is not good counseling, it's maybe better preaching than it is counseling. You don't have anything going on that number one, Jesus doesn't know about, and that Jesus can't meet you right where you're at. I'm fully convinced that should God manifest himself among us this morning, that should God meet us right where we're at and, man, have that incredible moment in which God works. I mean, I, I had to stop singing when we're singing Jesus Save. Chains are falling. I just, I just began to think about the testimonies that I've read about Asbury and Wellmont and, and Nashville and and. Uh, Cedarville University, and man, so many of these other places where God is working. I was overwhelmed at thinking about someone walking in, being loaded down, full of burdens, struggling to make it, struggling to know if anybody cares. And they got in the presence of God, and God in that moment set them free. God in that moment took their burden. God in that moment 
said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I just wonder if you and I might beg God, and it may be that today, in a moment, that God might take that burden from somebody. Somebody might experience that freedom. Number five. Realignment calls us to holiness. It calls us to holiness. Look at verse 23. In those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod. And notice this, and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So what's happening here? If you remember, the children of Israel had intermarried with individuals that they were commanded not to. And again, I've addressed this several times. This is not uh, some sort of wicked nationality. It is not some nationalistic approach. What is the issue here? Don't miss. It's less about the nation and more about the pagan. Okay? The issue here is, is that God had given them that command because he knew primarily that the people of God, these, they were the worshipers of the one true God. And if they began to intermarry with these individuals that worship pagan gods, here's the reality. This is an important lesson for any of you young folks. Man, it's always the evil that pulls down. It's all, and you know, sometimes people think, well, I begin to date them, I begin to be with them in the hopes that they might uh, come and worship God, in the hopes that they may see, the, see this. And oftentimes, man, I, it happens the other way. They're influenced the other way, that they're not as faithful to the Lord as they once were, etc. And listen, I understand, I, I believe Romans 1.16, the power of God, the gospel as much as anybody in here. I fully believe that God can save anybody and it changes everything. But here's what had happened, that they, God had warned them, if you marry here, you're going to marry a, a pagan pe people that are worshiping false gods. And it's not going to be good for you. And that's exactly what happens. And God convicts them and they, they, they separate themselves. They do all these sorts of things. They make a fancy commitment before God and say, God, yeah, I'm going to do that. Nehemiah goes away and he comes back and they're breaking the Sabbath. And what else are they doing? And here they are. They've got people with them that worship false gods. So much so. Did you catch what the Bible said there in verse 24? Half the tribe children, half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod. And look at this. And could not speak the language of Judah. So is this nationalistic? No, and I can't believe it. No. Language of Judah? Hebrew. Why is that important? What's the Bible written in? Hebrew. And so Nehemiah is here going, you don't understand what's happening that the very foundation of your faith is slowly eroding away because you have failed to keep the commandments and the obedience that, that God had called them to. And so Nehemiah is calling. He is strong with this. Listen, he is very strong. Okay, look at verse 25. So I contended with them 
and cursed them, struck some of them, and pulled out their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Now, hold on, hit pause here before you have too big of a reaction. Number one, uh, it doesn't use curse here as in he uses foul language. It is a curse based on the principles and the truth of God. That's the idea that's here. But then he goes on, I realize he pulls hair out of beard and all that kind of thing. Taking, listen, the, the, the scripture called for stoning. So I'm, I'm not in favor of anybody coming up in here this morning and, and trying to pull my beard out. Um, but I will take that over stones. Um, thanks. And so what is Nehemiah doing? Nehemiah is trying to help them understand this is something serious. And this is something important you need to pay attention to. Verse 26, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. So he's saying, man, uh, Solomon was an important king, but listen to this, nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Scripture says there was nobody like Solomon in his wisdom and riches. What happened? He married women who didn't worship the one true God. And he allowed pagan idolatry. It was his downfall. Verse 27, should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgression against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elishab, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sambalot, the Horonite. Therefore, I drove him from me. Remember, Sambalot, we just talked about in, uh, two weeks ago in the first half of this chapter, Tobiah had moved in. He, he had a, uh, an extra storage closet in the temple that, that they were allowed, that they had given him. He was one of the enemies of God, the other enemies of Nehemiah and the things of God. The other was Sambalot. And so here they, they've drifted so far, they're letting some of the very enemies that had raised up against them to get a foothold into what God is trying to do. Verse 29, remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Verse 30, thus I cleanse them of everything pagan, also assign duties to the priests and the Levites each to his service. So what happens here? We're going to end in just a moment. What is happening here, real simply, is Nehemiah is calling the children of Israel back to holiness. What is it to be holy? Holy is to be set apart for the Lord. Holiness is to be set apart for the Lord. Nehemiah had led in such a way that God had moved in an incredible way. God had done some, did some incredible stuff. Even the children, children of Israel at one point, they're fired up, they're making a covenant. Yeah, we're on board. And we're fired up, we're good to go. And, and it's not very long. Nehemiah returns and here they are in the same place. And it amazes me 
That sometimes we read the Old Testament and we read about what God did and then we read how the children of Israel go back to their sin and then God works and, and they get restored and all these sorts of things and then we read how they go back to how things, just this repetitive cycle. But yet sometimes in our arrogance we read or hear about that and we throw up our arms going, are you kidding me? How could that happen? But dear friend, can I submit to you that you and I are guilty of the same thing? I mean, do you realize the number of great awakenings, the number of revivals, the number of things that have happened in this nation and across this land, yet here we are, maybe as wicked as we ever have been, and churches as dead as they ever have been, and closing and folding up shop, and man, we're just losing a generation of, of lostness. And this is why Nehemiah says this is so important, because one commentator says, man, we're one generation from losing all of the foundation, all that God has done. That's why it's so important going, you don't speak the land of Judah. You don't even speak Hebrew, uh, half the children. Why is that important? Because he knows that they're not going to be able to read the Word of God. They're not going to know the Word of God in the way that they should. Yet what is fascinating, the last several movements of God that have taken place, and the one that seems to be underway right now, is moving among Gen Z. College students. And man, I don't care where it begins. We need it. We need it. And what is the call here? The call is back to holiness. That you and I, the fact that you and I may even question or not even be sure whether we need revival is an indicator of itself that we need revival. That we need a fresh work. That we need a return to holiness. Friend, I just want you to think about Think about your own heart and your own life. Think about your language. Think about your thoughts. Think about your intents. Think about your screen time. And I just want you to think about this. Have you drifted from the Lord? Would all of these things in your life, would it scream to a lost and dying world that you are set apart unto the Lord? That's what Nehemiah is calling them back to. Saying God has preserved. He hasn't allowed, me to, allowed us to build a wall. He hasn't allowed us to, man, restore the temple and do all these sorts of things so that we can just go live any way we want to. But rather, he's done all this. And he's calling us back to himself. Listen to that. Now, I want you to think about this. We talked about uh, the wall that they built in... An incredible amount of time. We talked about they would go around, uh, plus a little bit, Arkansas Tech campus, and, and just, man, the, the monstrosity of, of that going, and, man, just happening in a matter of weeks. But I want you to listen, and all that Nehemiah has done, I want you to listen how he ends his book. We'll begin in verse 30. Thus I cleansed them from everything pagan, I also assigned duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to bringing the wood offering 
and the first fruits at the appointed times. Remember me, O God, for good. Did you see where he talked about the wall? He doesn't, does he? You and I, when we think about Nehemiah, what do we think about? We think about the rebuilding of the wall. As Nehemiah is ending his book, it seems like the furthest thing from his mind is rebuilding a wall, but rather he wants to be remembered for restoring worship and calling the people of God back to a sense of holiness, calling the people above God back to authentic, God-honoring, man, God-focused worship. That's what he wants to be remembered for. And notice what he says. He says, remember me, O God. He doesn't say for my good, but for good. Because Nehemiah knows it's not him. Nehemiah knows it's not about you and I remembering Nehemiah. He knows it's not about one day reading about him and reading this story and and thinking, man, look how great of a dude Nehemiah was, but rather I'm fully convinced he wants us to read this and know this morning, God, we need you. And by your grace, we are going to be set apart for you. Because he's worthy. He's worthy of every moment of your time. He is worthy of every word that comes out of your mouth. He is worthy of every thought you have in your life about Him. Man, He is worthy of your eyes. He is worthy of every fiber of your being. 1 Peter 1, 14 says, As obedient children, not conforming, yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written be holy for i am holy and then finally i want to li- I, wa- I want to finish here and we're going to have a time of invitation number one I, i'm begging that you, like myself and many others, would just have a real serious assessment of where you're at and what your need is today. No thoughts about what the person next to you may need. No thoughts to what about the church down the road may need. No thoughts about what Asbury needs, but God, what, what do I need this morning? Have I drifted? Do I need a renewed commitment? And man, I am to be set apart from you. We think about holiness and we think about the holiness of God. It may be that God is deeply convicting you over some things in your life and you need to get right this morning. And some of you may say, I don't know, preacher. I'm just not all that committed to it. I want you to listen to this verse. There's a few verses in Scripture that sometimes keep me up at night, and this is one of those. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. I cannot dare stand in front of you today and attempt to even begin saying, I understand the full gravity of that statement. 
but this is what I know. And this is not a manipulative statement. It's not anything other than this. I sure don't want to stand before the Holy One of Israel and give an account because I just thought I was okay and I refused to acknowledge things before the Lord and be responsible not only for me not experiencing the manifest presence of God, me not experiencing a unique move of God, but be responsible for you not. That scares me. And so my plead is this. Consider for yourself, have you drifted? Are you not as close to the Lord as you once were? But if you won't do it for yourself, will you consider it for the sake of others? Let's pray. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. God in heaven, I pray. I pray you'd set us free from any distractions in the next few moments. God, set us free from worried about being on time to something or being late to something. But that God, we would take this moment seriously. And that we would just be captured by you. God, this is your time. We give it to you. God, I pray if there's lost people who need to be saved, they'd come forward and it's me. God, if there's those of us that are here, God, that pray for all of us that have things to deal with that we deal with it in this moment. Lord, you be Lord over this moment. I'm just going to invite you, if, if you feel so led, feel so inclined, God dealing with your heart, would you come get on this altar and just do business with the Lord? Don't wait on somebody else. This is you and the Lord. Go, God, I need you. If that's you, would you come? Man, things going on in your life. Maybe you just want to pray again for revival. Pray for God to work. And don't, don't let embarrassment, don't let anything else. Man, you, you want to come and pray, come and pray. If you don't, sit right where you're at. Man, if God's dealing with your heart, you come.
Um, hope you make plans to be back with us tonight. Uh, five o'clock, we'll have, we'll begin with a business meeting, and then we'll move into a time of continuing our uh, three circles uh, training. And so I hope you'll be able to be with us tonight for that um, opportunity to give as we leave today. Um, just honor the Lord how uh, he would have you. Okay, let's stand and we will uh, pray and be dismissed. Jesus, you're good. And we love and adore you. God, I pray you'd help us to want more of you. Lord, I pray that you would do a great work for your kingdom and for your name's sake. Lord, I pray you'd bless us as we go, go out today. Help us to serve you faithfully. Help us to give in a way that honors and pleases you. Help us to be a witness for you this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our God.